This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Integrity means there is no gap between what you say and what you do, says Michael Masucci. Valeria Tellez interviews Michael, the author of Elite Journey Books, An Elite Journey, A Young Man's Leadership Story, and Elite Journey 2, The First Task of Leadership. Coach Michael Masucci is also a president of AEO, Leadership LLC. The values of attitude, excellence, others, AEO, are the core of his mission and message. Using the principles from his books, Coach Masucci currently advises student-athletes, coaches, athletic departments, and organizations. Coach Masucci is a graduate of Central Michigan University, where he earned a major in history, a minor in reading, and a professional coaching certificate. He later earned his master's degree from Oakland University in reading and language arts. Coach Masucci has completed the Galileo Leadership Program, is certified in the Stephen Covey Leadership Program, trained by the Disney Leadership Institute, and is a facilitator of restorative practices. A former 20-year varsity basketball coach, Michael is currently employed by Bloomfield Hills Schools, where he teaches American history, instructs a mindset class, and facilitates a leadership seminar which hosts successful people from all walks of life. Meet Michael at michaelmasucci.com. Here is the interview with Michael Masucci. In your own words, who is Michael Masucci? Michael Masucci, I believe, is made in the image of God, a child of God, as I believe we all are made in his image, son of Arthur and Mimi Masucci, brother to Amy and Marty Masucci, blessed to be husband to Karen and father of three boys. That's essentially who I am. What, where, and who is God to you? Well, God is uh, my creator. God is uh, in heaven, where I hope to be one day. Uh, I'm Catholic. I believe uh, he sent his son, Jesus, to show us the way. That's who I believe God is. What does it mean to you to be a human being? That's a great question. I think we're all on earth uh, for a purpose. The title of my books, the Elite Journey series, when we, I think of an elite journey, I think of being our best with the time that we have now. So if we can be our best with the time that we humans have now, it's striving for something 
greater than ourselves. And we all have a unique uh, job description on this earth, and it's our job to uncover that. So we as humans, I think, have to discover what we're here for and help others discover what they're for, here for as well. Yeah, I love that idea. And I read somewhere in one of your articles about the word elite. The I stands for integrity. So that caught my attention. I love this idea of being true to ourselves and others. And the way you defined, the way you talked about integrity, I think you said integrity means there is no gap between what you say and what you do. So talk to me for a moment about integrity and leadership. Well, one of the things that we wanted to do is create a, a game plan for young leaders. Uh, success isn't random. So in order to, to be our best, you really need to plan for it. And so we created this acronym, ELITE, where each letter stands for a certain word, where the E is education, uh, the L is leadership, the I, as you mentioned, is integrity, the T is Uh, stands for team, the people in your life, and the last E stands for excellence. And so when we isolate the word I, integrity, um, as you stated, there's no gap between who we say we are and what we do. So if we say, you know, let's say we want to run a five-minute mile and we don't do anything to train for that, uh, there's a gap between what we say and what we do. Or if we say that I really want to be a, a great husband or a great friend. And uh, we don't do the responsible things that those roles um, call for. Then we're, there's that gap between what we say and what we do is widening. So what we try to talk to young people about is really staying consistent between our highest aspirations, what we really want to do, and the actions toward that effort. That makes so much sense to me. And I wonder what gets in the way, Michael, of doing what we say we want to do or whatever we want to achieve or be in life. Well, there are a lot of obstacles. One is our, our mind, our mindset. And the other is our, our energy, you know, the things that we put into our, our body. And just for example, with the, uh, the mindset is... Uh, you know, our brain tends to tilt toward a negative bias. So it's hard to overcome those negative biases unless we have a plan, unless we have, you know, the goals that we want to achieve written down. Now, for example, if, you know, I get up before my feet hit the floor off my bed, I look on my bedside table and I see my goals and I imagine what a great day would look like. What does the ideal version of myself look like? What would I eat this morning for breakfast? How would I treat the people that I encounter first? If some adversity should fall my way, how would I react? And you go through the day replaying your best version of yourself, what the ideal version of you looks like. You're setting the mind up for those traps, those negative biases of of becoming less than your best. So your mind can get in the way unless you prepare your mind for your best day. Yeah, so preparation is really important. Absolutely. The mind's a very useful tool in this reality, in the human body. We need the mind. When you say planning, so 
Are we using a different system in a way? Would you say imagination, intuition, different kind of source for those thoughts? Well, let me take that question in this direction. Like our mind is, is I believe, at our best when we're curious. If you can imagine uh, walking into a room and then the lights go on and you have like motion-censored lights, well, I believe that's exactly how our brain works. If we are curious, if we are thinking and asking questions, our brain lightens up and our imagination is triggered and we start uncovering uh, what our genius is all about, our purpose. Like the word genius, I first started to to really look at this word, and the ancient Romans had a different version of what a genius is. They believed that a genius was a spirit inside of you, the reason why you exist, and your job was to uncover your genius. Now, over time, that word um, changed. It evolved. It started to uh, denote something that somebody did, like an outcome, like da Vinci or Michelangelo or Shakespeare are geniuses, because look at the products they produced. Instead of an uncovering of your genius, of why you are here, and I think we need to get back to that and believe that we all are a genius or have a genius about us that we can uncover. And we also have a responsibility to bring out the genius in, in others as well. And I think that that might point to your question about imagination and really uncovering who we really are. Yeah. And speaking of purpose, what do you think is the purpose of the human experience as a whole? I think it's a homecoming, uh, a divine homecoming. Hopefully, uh, as we um, journey, as we are on our lead journey, we're able to bring uh, heaven to earth a little bit, some some glimpses you know in the celtic history they they believed in these thin places where uh heaven is un, unveiled and you can kind of see a little bit of heaven and that's when we're at our really our best self and so it's uncovering what we're here for and and trying to make this place the best po- place we can possibly make it before we uh meet our maker so to speak what is your unique purpose so let's say what is your genius and how do we know when we have uncovered or discovered our unique purpose? Well, that's a tough question, Valeria. And I, it's a question I, I thought about a lot. And uh, one of the things that, that I did is, is I really read a lot and, I, I, and still do and try to think about what are my strengths? What am I called to do? Surround myself with people that are like-minded and bring out the best in me. And one thing that keeps coming back to me is leadership. I've written about it. I love to read about it. I love talking to my friends and sons and wife about it. Uh, And so as I continue a leadership journey, I learn every day. That's part of the process, the uncovering. Of course, one of the things that I want to always be cautious of is is to remain curious uh, because you know, one event leads to another. I'd never thought that I would have written two books on leadership when I was 21 years old. I was a, you know, a basketball coach and loved basketball and, you know, thought that would be something I would do for, you know, until I retired. And so your journey keeps evolving based on these clues that, uh, that your friends, that the world, that God gives you, uh, that you keep uh, uncovering. 
Right. So it changed. It also can change, right, Michael, our purpose. I, I believe that. I believe that, uh, you know, there's an old saying, if, if you're the same person at 50 that you are at 20, then you've wasted 30 years, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. so you want to uh, be open to uh, what God's calling you. You want to be open to uh, growing and, uh, and to learning and to being curious. Why did you choose to become a basketball coach? I just, you know, since I was, I was little, I, uh, I loved the game. I remember my parents taking me to basketball games when I was young and, you know, I certainly played when I was younger, but when I'd go to games, I'd find myself watching the coaches and their command of the huddle and, and the way they were directing the game and, and their energy. And, you know, I, uh, I just kind of envisioned that and, and just dreamed of that and continued that process and was really blessed to meet some incredible mentors in my life that developed that natural interest and uh, helped me make good decisions. And, uh, you know, sure enough, I was a high school coach at a real young age and uh, at a good program and just enjoyed those years that I had uh, with young men uh, playing a game we love and, and trying to uh, not only play the game, but learn lessons through the game to make us better in life, too. So it's interesting how what we learn to teach in games can be also applied to life itself. I love that idea of everything we do in life. It's connected. I think sometimes it's hard to know when you're going through it, but when you have the luxury of looking backwards, you can see all the connections that you've made, the synchronicities that you may have been unaware of that have made you the person that you are at this moment. And and then to look back with gratitude. And, and I think that we're all at our best when we can have gratitude in advance, you know, thanking God for the things that are going to happen to help us become the person that we're called to be. Let me ask you a question about the difference between a coach, a teacher, a mentor, guide, and even a leader. Are they all different or somehow connected? Well, I, I think that they're all connected, and they are different in the in the fact that they have different titles. Um, you can be a coach without being a leader. You can be a teacher without being a leader. Essentially, leadership is a choice. It's a choice you make. Uh, that distinguishes you uh, from others, that you are more than your position, that your job, let's say, um, let's go to basketball. If you're a, a basketball coach, um, you're dealing with plays, you're dealing with the X's and O's. If you're a leader, you're also dealing with the Jimmy and Joe's, like the the guys, and you're, you're teaching lessons. Uh, and if there's a tough loss in that game, it's not just about the loss. It's about what can we learn from? What can we grow from? And how can we be different uh, the next game than we were today? And how can those lessons maybe transform into uh, the classroom, into our living rooms, into our friendships, into uh, the people that we want to become? So that's, I think, where leadership distinguishes between those other positions as a coach. With respect to a mentor, uh, that is also a personal uh, relationship that uh, you seek to like-minded people, to maybe people in need, uh, and there's nothing better than a great mentor. And I also believe in reverse mentoring, where you you learn from younger people and you learn how they're doing things. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, always being open to life's lessons, whether it's from the young or the old or, or the people of the same uh, generation. I think we can all have mentors in our life. 
And that's one of the things that I learned early was the, the mentors through the books that I've read, through uh, the stories that I was reading as a young age. The mentors don't necessarily have to be the people in your immediate life. I read one, I think it was from a Jim Rohn leadership book, who he wrote, you'll be the average of the five closest friends in your life. And so that that taught me that, you know, I really want to make sure that I'm around some really, really good people, uh, some people that are rising tides. Uh, One transformational person that I met, oh, about uh, seven or eight years ago is a man by the name of Tim McCormick. Now, he's a giant of a man, both figuratively and literally. Uh, He's seven feet tall and he's uh, a national motivator, works for the NBA former NBA player and now a current NBA leader, uh, works for ESPN and and uh, the Detroit Pistons. And he's also an author. And when I was in his circle of influence, all of a sudden, a few years later, I'm writing books. I'm presenting at different functions and uh, kind of living out a larger version of what I was li- living out uh, before meeting Tim. And so like you, you, Put yourself in other people's um, spheres of influence. Uh, you can benefit greatly. And then I think you're called upon to do the same for others as well. How do we learn to recognize and choose good friends, uh, the people that will inspire us to become better people? Well, the best place that I've ever read about friendship, if you'll believe it, comes from Aristotle, one of the, the in, in ancient Greece. He wrote a lot about a lot of things. A lot of it I can't understand. <laughs> Some of it I can't. The friendship piece I really was drawn to. And he said that really there's there's three types of, of friends. There's uh, friends of pleasure, which in today's terms would be like fun friends, like friends that you just enjoy your time with, that when you're around them, you laugh and you have a good time. And it's just such a joy to be around. And then there are friends of utility. And those are like your business partners or, you know, your teammates in life that you do something for them and they do something for you. And it's a good partnership. It's a good friendship. But as soon as that utility is over, as soon as that usefulness is over, you'll probably go your own ways. Likewise, when the friend is friendships and the fun is over, your fun friends will go their own ways. He said the third type of friend is the friend you really want to keep. And those are the friends for the good. And he described those friends as friends that will the good of not only themselves, but of you as well, that they want your genius to come out, that they want good for you. And I think that's where you go to. And and where do you find them? Well, you're going to get hurt in the process. I think we've all been burned by relationships and friendships. But they're the ones that, you know, stick with you. They might be the friends from childhood that you, you know, just always can reconnect with. Or it might be a friend from work or it might be a friend from a common interest that you have. But, you know, someone told me, I think my dad actually told me when I was young, so you'll probably only really have about five friends in your in your life, real good friends. And I remember at that time thinking he was crazy. Like, Dad, I got so many friends. I got basketball friends, football friends. And, you know, sure enough, he is so true. You got these, you got this circle of friends that you just know are rising tides. They not only care about you, but they want you to do well. And it's a special thing. It's rare, unfortunately. 
to have those kind of people around us yeah. for some reason. I'm wondering why it's rare. Well, we, we uh-huh. live in such a transactional uh, time where, you know, you do something for me, I'll do something for you, and it's beneficial, what Aristotle called that friendship of utility, where it's rare where you say, you know, I really want you to pursue this, or you really challenge a friend to to write a book or to, you know, start a podcast or to start a new career and really hope and support them in their dreams. And that's, my goodness, uh, uh, a friend to keep. Yeah. Yeah, a thousand times to that, Michael. I do have another question here, the warm-up questions about what's happening. This year, we have been through a lot of... Um, let's say, chains, uh, some would say challenges, and of course, it has been a challenge for some of us. So at this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Well, I'd hate to go right back to where we left in friendship and relationship, uh, though I think that uh, we do have more vehicles to communicate with one another, though for whatever reason, uh, many people are finding themselves uh, more alone than ever, uh, where they uh, may be surrounded by others, uh, but still alone in their heart, not feeling a genuine connection uh, with other people. And I think that's a, a hurdle that our society right now, now needs to figure out, uh, because it seems like, and this is not an area of expertise, but it seems like that people are more uh, depressed, uh, people are more longing for connection uh, than ever before. And I think that we need to realize that. Uh, we need to kind of get in touch with our humanity and uh, really look to others. And we'll go back to what we stated earlier, as geniuses, as people on elite journeys that uh, want to discover their best self. And if we look at each other as geniuses, as people on a special sacred mission, I think that changes the entire relationship that um, we'll have with them. Thank you for your message, Michael. That's a powerful and much needed message at this time, especially yeah, with all the challenges that we have faced with. I'm going to ask you another question about freedom. That's another concept we have. So let me see what your thoughts are. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? Well, sometimes I like to look at if you're if you're going to define a word as what the opposite of that is first to draw some contrast. So when I look at the opposite of freedom, it's someone who's in prison, you know, somebody who is locked in. And so, you know, freedom would be somebody who is not locked in uh, to their circumstance, um, to their life condition, uh, that their mind is somehow on a journey um, even if their body is not. And you look at some unbelievable, incredible examples of inspiration, whether it's Nelson Mandela, who was in jail for 27 years and uh, never, you know, he had a poem right by his side, Invictus, and always the, you know, the master of his fate, the captain of his soul. And, uh, or I think I reversed that, but uh, he, he, he had this vision of what his best version looked like. And, you know, when he got out of prison, what was the first thing he did was he forgave his prisoners. And, 
you know, forgiveness is has has everything to do with liberty. It's this I'm bigger than my circumstance, and he transformed the nation. And so when I look at liberty or liberty or freedom, it's somebody who is rises above their raising, rises above their circumstances, and finds joy regardless. You look at uh, Saint Paul, who in prison wrote about joy and rejoicing always. Those kinds of stories are so inspiring. Uh, And when you read them, it it gives you hope that um, we can all have freedom, regardless of our circumstances. So yeah, it's a very empowering definition of freedom. I love that too. Another, you spoke of gratitude earlier, which is so important to have for life as wisdom and forgiveness too. And I often ask the question, so I'll ask you too, is forgiveness a moment of understanding or a process? Oh, I, I think it's the latter. I think it's a process. At least for me, it, it was. Yeah, I, I start the day with uh, just a short prayer and two of the, the things I ask for is, is gratitude and forgiveness, you know, inspire me, the gift of gratitude, for I'm truly blessed, lead me to be a blessing for others, inspire me, the gift of forgiveness to leave the worst behind and lead me to do small things with great love. Like those are things that I I really am intentional about. And it's a process. It's also, um, it's an understanding and an unfolding that, you know, when I forgive, I'm actually uh, helping myself move forward. And uh, you're leaving that worst of life situation, whatever happened behind you. And it's not forgetting, uh, but it's it's also knowing that uh, looking back, that incident happened and it transformed you into who you are today. And chances are you wouldn't be the person you are today if that event didn't happen exactly like it did happen. So if you could get to a good place, and and I'm not going to try to fool you that I can get there all the time, is is to be thank you for the thankful for those things that happened uh, to make you into the person that you are today. That's a really good place to get to. You speak of great love. I like the way you said that. So forgiveness and gratitude will help you to live and do things with great love. That's a very interesting and inspiring phrase. So I'm wondering what love is to you. What is your definition of love? When I think of love, I I think of my relationship with my wife. Uh, I think that it's wanting each other to go to heaven. It's it's wanting the best in others. It's what Aristotle was getting to for that friendship of the good. It's that. It's 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 a place of serenity with others. Uh, and the more that you serve, and the, the less that you think of yourself, the more you can get to a place of of love. And it's a mutual relationship where I'm better for you and, and hopefully you're better for me. And uh, that's that's love is when each other, helping each other get to heaven, I think is the simplest way I can say it. On a very human level, it's like, hey, we're in this together. Um, but it's also, you know, we have some reoccurring themes, but it's also a, a love of if if you're in a, a, a room of, of people and, and you genuinely love them, you want their genius to come out. You want them to be the best version of themselves and you can help them get to that place. 
Uh, so you might not like everyone you meet, but hopefully you can you can find ways to love them and help them. It might be just a smile. It might be a, a job recommendation. It might be, you know, uh, someone you introduce them to any way that you can do to help them become the best version of who they are. I have two more questions for you here uh, related to your work with your books. The first one is, how did you become a writer? Great question. And I, I, I mentioned uh, Tim McCormick before. I had never thought I would be a, a, a writer. Uh, I am a, a reader, but I remember this sure as a day is long. We're, we're driving to an event and he he looked at me and Tim's got a great presence about him. You just feel good in his presence. And I'm feeling good. I'm excited about the event we're going to. And he said, you know, you and I should write a book. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, we should write a book about, you know, what we're doing with these athletes and everything else. And that really inspired me. And I, it, you know, I just kind of digested it. And, you know, knowing human nature, like humans, nature. They love a story. They love, uh, you know, characters. They like, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end. And they love a character to be dynamic, that they change from the beginning to the end. And so I didn't want to write a, you know, a leadership manual like uh, of uh, nonfiction. I wanted to. So I started writing a story. And Valeria, it was like I was in a zone. Like I was for whatever reason, I got up at three in the morning and I'm typing away and then it's eight in the morning. I'm like, what just happened? And so, uh, you know, my first draft was finished and, you know, I took it to people that know about writing and, you know, you got to get past, okay, Mike, this is, this is fine, but it's not good enough. And then you're like, what do you mean? It's not good enough. And then you got to go through the second and the third versions. And that's where the hard work was at least for the first book for me was was the redrafting and the and the redrafting and the getting that, that those uh, comments like of of challenging me and and it was from love it was like hey you're better than this and and so I had to take that uh, feedback and and get better and and so that's how it all started for me uh, through an ins- through being inspired and then through uh, feedback and mentors and and uh, that's where. It began and, and is continuing. Talk to me for a moment about the intention of these two elite journey books. One is called An Elite Journey, A Young Man's Leadership Story. And the other one is An Elite Journey to the First Task of Leadership. You know, we mentioned a little bit about this earlier in the interview about trying to provide uh, young people with a game plan. And so the acronym uh, for elite, education, leadership, integrity, teamwork, and excellent became the um, platform of uh, where leaders stand. At first, you want to have an education, and that doesn't mean like a GPA or, or your formal study. That means knowledge is power. You want to have ed- education at its root word means educare, which means to come within and and to draw within. And so what is inside of you? What's what do you want to get out of you? That's your education. And knowledge knowing that knowledge is power. And then once you know that, then leadership is a choice that you make to put yourself out bravely into the world. 
And then it's a decision to live with integrity where there's no gap between what you say and what you do. So now you're, you, you know what you want to do. You have your goals written down. You choose to be a leader and now you're integrated. Well, now surround yourself with that team, those mentors, those people that are going to be rising tides in your life, that circle of influence. And once you do that, then just be committed to excellence. That doesn't mean perfection. That just means are you better, you know, this year than you were last year, this month than you were last month, this week than you were last week, today than you were yesterday. If you are, then you're on an elite journey, ready to become your best self. And so that was the the book one game plan. And then when I went around to schools and to other events, I got a lot of great questions. Hey, when are you going to write book two or what? And then, but I got some interesting uh, comments too. The main character's name is C.J. Harding. And one young man raised his hand and said, you know, Mr. Coach Masucci, is, is C.J. white or black? And then I'm like, oh. And then I see pictures of half of them think he's white, half think he's black. I'm like, this is beautiful. You know, I think this is great. And uh, so he kind of transcends stereotypes, the character did. And, and so then I really, I thought about that a lot. One of my heroes is... Uh, Robert Kennedy. He had a great quote that that I don't have in front of me, but I'm gonna. It, it really was the the impetus of the book, the first task of leadership. And he says something like this: the task of leadership, the first task of concerned people, is not to condemn, castigate, or deplore. It's to search out the reason for disillusionment or alienation, the rationale for protest or dissent. In fact, to learn from it. And so I'm like, yeah, that's what a leader does. It's it's to learn from others and why they are acting the way they're acting. And so I took that quote and I took a lot of uh, comments from uh, students and feedback and I put those together and made the, uh, had the main character take another journey about well, the first one was becoming his best self. The second one was really finding out who he, who he really is. You know, if, if knowledge is power, knowledge about yourself is, is self-empowerment. It's, it's becoming who you are meant to be. So it's, that's kind of how the series played out. Very unintentional to begin with, but then as, you know, uh, the synchronicity happened at different events, it, it unfolded the way, uh, it did. And quite, uh, Coincidentally, I mean, we're, we're at a time of, of uh, strife in this nation, uh, and uh, race is part of that strife. And this book, book two, gives uh, young people and, and leaders and coaches uh, language and uh, experiences through the dynamic character of CJ to hang on to, learn from, and then apply to their own life. I do have a few more questions for you. The next one I wanted to ask is about this idea that it's too late. A lot of people think that it's too late to find their purpose or to become a leader or coach. What would you say to them? I believe the author, it was the author, Matthew Kelly, who who said something like this. I'm paraphrasing. One of the biggest, oh, how did he phrase it? He said, he said, one of the worst things that you can do is ever say that you are too young. Uh, the second worst thing you could say is you're too old. And so like he, he and that wasn't quite how he said it. But I remember that kind of uh, bookend frameworks or book bookend kind of framework. And so what that tells me is, you know, leadership is a choice and uh, it's 
the choice every day. You know, you could be a, a, a difference maker, somebody who, you know, you there are different kinds of relationships and you can have those transitional relationships all the time, but it's the transformational relationships that, that really are going to make a memory. And, and so, you know, leadership is a choice you make to have transformational relationships. And do you see a difference between purpose and passion? Are they the same somehow or connected? I think they're definitely connected. Uh, it's good alliteration for number one, passion and purpose. But I see passion as a fuel to a purpose. And, you know, our purpose is our genius, our, our what we're striving for. And, you know, that passion fuels that journey. Uh, and so it's important, you know, it's that we continue to read and be curious and to be open and to be inspired because passion can, you know, dissipate it. You know, it's not like you just say, I want passion. I want passion. I want passion. It's something that you, you get inspired by and it comes through, you know, the different choices you make and the people that you encounter. Yeah. I love your message that you keep um, repeating over and over. It's so profound and true to me. Keep yourself open and curious in life. Yeah. You know, one author I remember saying, you know, be open to anything and attached to nothing. You know, like it's, you know, you don't want to be attached to some some ideas that become outdated or or some people that are, are uh, not good for you. And you want to be open to things that you're inspired by and that uh, speak uh, your truth. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in one of your books? Sure. So I'm going to read uh, from Elite Journey 1, uh, and it's going to be in the prologue, and it's going to be just a, or two paragraphs, three paragraphs. And so just to set the stage, the prologue um, is uh, two years in advance to when the story begins. So uh, I take the reader on a journey to the future. So as the nights broke the huddle, CJ was focused on his routine. His distraction control was unlike that of any other athlete. This was a state championship. Thousands of fans were on the edge of their seats and the Cavalier student section was going crazy. CJ's mom and little sister were covering their eyes, unable to watch as he prepared to shoot another free throw. There was something special about CJ. He was different than the other kids. He had a certain swagger about him. He was cool without being arrogant. He had a sense of destiny about him. As CJ approached the foul line, he smiled to himself, knowing full well he was prepared for this moment. This shot was not just for his school, his family, his coach, or his teammates. This shot was also for the person most responsible for helping a young kid with a lot of potential transform into an elite athlete who was ready to seize the moment. I love the phrase, uh, a sense of destiny in him. And that makes me think about confidence. Are they connected, Michael, somehow? <laughs> oh, I think so. You know, confidence is, uh, can be very fleeting. And one of the things that I, I've read about confidence is the importance of self-talk. Uh, the, the, the idea that, you know, our, our brain is, it has a negativity bias. And we have all these thoughts, thousands and thousands of thoughts a day. It's an important to harness those thoughts, to 
train our brain to become a great thinker. So what if we had, and we talk to our athletes and, and students about this, what if we had cornerstones of self-talk, four thoughts that build our personality and improve our personal reality? Thoughts like something good is about to happen. Now that gives you a, a sense of optimism, a bounce in your step, or I can handle this. So you have this thought of something good is about to happen. And then you can handle this. If you're driving home and all of a sudden you're just thinking, oh, I can't wait to get home. Something good's about to happen. And then there's a traffic jam. Your first thought, I can handle this. This will give me some time to listen to a podcast or I'm going to turn the radio on. I can handle this. It gives you the resilience to handle difficult moments or trying moments. Or how about this self-talk? No one is more important than me. Imagine walking into a room with that self-confidence that no one is more important than you. So you're talking to your supervisor, your boss, or, you know, uh, somebody that, uh, you know, might be famous. But you have this feeling like my genius is just as important as their genius. It gives you the confidence to go and look them in the eye and to tell them what you know and to be your best self. But equally as important to that is this comment. I'm not more important than anyone else. So that gives you the humility to speak to anyone with sincere gratitude for the moment, uh, not thinking about positions or any type of uh, life situation. You're thinking about we're connecting because I'm not more important than you and you're not more important than me. We're connecting on a very human experience here. So you have these four cornerstones of thought of something good's about to happen. I can handle anything. No one's more important than me. And I'm not more important than anyone else. That gives you the optimism, the perseverance, the confidence, and the humility to handle any situation. And that's how our confidence grows through our self-talk. Because I think sometimes, you know, we can get too arrogant. And sometimes we can get where we don't feel up to the challenge. And we want to be in that sweet spot where, you know, we're ready to seize this moment. Something good's about to happen. I love that. That makes me smile just to by thinking about it. <laughs> so it's very inspirational. I love your wisdom. Thank you, Michael, for sharing it. I have to ask you this question here. If you were to have one word for true leadership, what would that word be? Teacher, mentor, bridge builder. Those would be words that come to mind. When I think of leader, I think of a bridge builder, someone that can uh, take you to places you couldn't go on your own or you didn't think you could go on your own. Yes. What is your idea of success these days? What is to be successful to you? I think it's being on a process of uncovering your genius, uh, engaging on an elite journey. If, if you're engaged in, you know, uh, your education, you're choosing to be a leader, uh, you're living an integrated life, uh, you're surrounded by people who love you and care about you and, and you do them, and you're committed to a path of excellence, I think independent of results, you're on a process of success. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? I think the hardest lesson for me, people are going to let you down. And that was, you know, a hard thing for me. Uh, people that I cared about, people that I thought were my friends, um, they're going to, you know, figuratively pull the rug out from under you. They're going to uh, be mean. Uh, they're going to uh, turn their backs on you, and that's going to hurt, and that's going to stay with you. Um, but it can also, as we spoke about before, transform you 
And uh, I'm thankful for that now. It, I can't say that it came easy, but I'm really thankful for that. Uh, and I think it's also made me appreciate you know, the friends in my life that I have right now that have been with me through ups and downs, through um, good times and bad, and hold me accountable, uh, want me, want the good for me. And I appreciate that even more. So I think that was one of the hardest lessons, Valeria, for me was learning that, uh, you know, people are going to let you down. Yeah. I think Emerson, Emerson talked about enduring the betrayal of false friends when he wrote about success. Uh, I have two more questions for you. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Well, there'd certainly be a sense of urgency in my actions. Uh, and I think there would be an exclamation point <laughs> to my actions uh, and um, certainly would be calling more people and letting them know uh, how important they are to me. In fact, now you've just motivated me to do that. So thank you for that question. <laughs> That's an interesting question that I reflect every day because we never know when that will happen. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? That it will end. That's what I know for sure. That people will let you down. I know that for sure. And that there's nothing better than people who love you and support you in becoming your best self. Those are three things that, that I believe I know. Thank you so much for your genuine presence, for sharing your profound wisdom, and thank you for your mission and your message. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So I don't have a, a large footprint in the social media world, uh, though I do have a website at michaelmasucci.com. I'm uh, certain that if you just Googled my name, uh, M-A-S-S-U-C-C-I, uh, you'd be able to find me at my website or on Amazon as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Michael, and we'll talk soon. Valerie, thank you, and, and congratulations uh, on the work that you're doing. I really appreciated uh, this conversation. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Michael Masucci and his work, please visit michaelmasucci.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.